Hi, and welcome to another episode of Chart of Fortune, the astrology podcast where I look at the birth charts of the moments and things that made pop culture. I'm your host, Elise Blaylock, and this week I'm talking about the early 2000s rom-com 13 going on 30. In case you're new here or you just decided to like join us in the pop culture bubble, 13 going on 30 is from the early 2000s, 2003. It's a romantic comedy, rom-com for the true heads. It stars Mark Ruffalo and Jennifer Garner. I'll get into the plot in a minute, but it's what we here at Chart of Fortune like to consider a comfort watch, okay? This this movie is like hot cocoa or ice cream or some homemade meal that makes you feel better. But this movie, it's not going to change your life. And that's kind of the point. I've been wanting to get back to what I consider the roots of Chart of Fortune, which is discussing all of the fluffy and inane blips of pop culture the early and mid-2000s can offer us. But I felt like I needed to take a unique perspective on this movie. Sure, it's a 2000s romantic comedy that's kind of a, you know, ubiquitous thing. There are a lot of them. And I needed to find a way to, like, talk about it so it was more interesting, right? I can't just say... Well, it's a 2000s romantic comedy during which the leads uh, dance to Thriller and eat weird candy. Like, we can't really waste 40 minutes of your life discussing razzles. Okay, I cannot waste 40 minutes of my life or yours discussing razzles, which, if you don't know, are a hard sugary candy. It looks like a Lego if a Lego was like a circular disc, and it starts off as like a fruity, chewy candy, but then it magically transforms into gum. Yes, gum. This is like if zebra-striped gum and like a slightly sour hard candy had a baby, and that baby was actually just Satan. It's like the Rosemary's Baby of confections. This candy would be a terrible road trip companion, for example, because once it's turned from candy into stale bits of gum, like what's the fucking plan? What's the move, right? What do you do? Do you, you know rummage around the car trying to find some long discarded receipt to you know gracefully spit this aforementioned razzle into maybe you know you're living in a different headspace you've adopted the colloquialism now that we're 15 months into a pandemic that you're here for a good time not a long time and you think screw it take this razzle i'm swallowing it yeah i'm just gonna swallow this weird piece of blue sugar that was once supposedly tasting like blue raspberry It's one of five colors that I'm charitably interpreting as separate flavors, but we all know they're just sugar flavored. You're the kind of person, if you're you're not going to spit it out, if you're swallowing, you don't play by the rules, you make the damn rules. And now a new rule is that you probably won't die if you start swallowing razzles because we both know that it would take an entire bag of razzles to make it a normal sized piece of gum. And that there is also no way that you are going to get through an entire bag of razzles. Like... You had a couple, it was a good moment, hit a nostalgia, fold it down, open the corn nuts, and be a fucking human being, okay? Rant over. After this, I'm going to say an elaborate musing on Razzles, I knew that I needed to do better. Like, we can't, again, spend 40 minutes, although we probably spent already five, talking about Razzles. I I needed to scrap it. We could talk about the fact that, interestingly, Mark Ruffalo and Jennifer Garmer were both in Marvel comic book movies. You know, like, what is more connected to astrology than, say, wearing faux leather outfits and not eating carbs and beating up people in alleyways? Okay, yeah, it's, it's not a super, super 
strong link to astrology. You can see that this Marvel tie-in is just like not enough to build an episode around. And then I thought, should I spend the whole time being like, why is it that Ariana Grande felt compelled to reenact this movie by rocking a middle part bob and wandering around with a light pink wooden dollhouse? Like, Mean Girls totally makes sense to me, but why 13 going on 30? Then again, Ariana, Cancer Sun. I feel like Girlfriend likes a good rom-com. Like, if she listens, I assume she listens, obviously. Um, she loves the 13 going on 30 moment. She loves the pale pink Jennifer Garner aesthetic. She likes a dollhouse randomly. She's here for it. But again, not enough to build an episode around. And so, as it often happens, I thought to myself, I may actually have to shelve this episode for a week or two until I can think of, like, something interesting. The pop culture gods interceded. And they often do this. And I found what I think is the angle for Chart of Fortune discussing 13 Going on 30. Specifically, I was saved by the patron saint of over-accessorizing our girl Hilary Duff. And I was saved by her Instagram stories. It came to me like a bright white light of salvation, saving the day, saving this episode. She announced in her Instagram stories amidst way too many photos of her baby that she is going to be a part of a reboot of the How I Met Your Mother series called How I Met Your Father. I know it's a lot to remember. It's a lot to take in. The name itself is very groundbreaking. And to get to the point about 13 going on 30, I just need a minute to unload, again, musings, um, razzle-adjacent musings, about Hilary Duff's new show, How I Met Your Father. I don't know what's happening to me. It feels like it could be the Pluto retrograde. Uh, That's happening until October. That's hitting hard. I don't know if it's the nostalgia when, like, on Sunday, I was feeling the vibes. Lizzie McGuire movie came out in theaters 18 years ago this past Sunday. And then in that moment, realizing that, like, the Lizzie McGuire reboot is so dead. Like, so, so, so dead. Like, instead, break out the butterfly clips because those bad boys are probably making a resurgence before the Lizzie reboot does. But these feelings left me just feeling a little salty, a little upset about this How I Met Your Father. Because I, to me, this is the show that nobody asked for. Nobody was clamoring on the IG for this. No one in the pop culture circles that I follow and pretend I am a part of was, like, into this. I, I don't get it. How I Met Your Father is, like, the show no one asked for. It's like if you were sitting at a restaurant and you had ordered the Lizzie McGuire reboot, but instead of just getting to choose another entree... They brought you a reboot of How I Met Your Mother with a completely different characters and the same premise. Like, you would have been just as happy, like, having someone tell you, hey, we are out of the Lizzie McGuire reboot, but we can get you something else. You said, great, I'll have an appetizer or two, or, oh, we'll just get a round of drinks and then leave instead of getting a meal. No. Instead, you received, instead of receiving what you actually ordered, you were given the daily special of How I Met Your Father. But they can leave the onions on the side if you're into that. Or it's like, instead of having a Lizzie McGuire reboot, you got an entree entirely comprised of razzles. Just razzles. Not a salad or a protein or like a delicate cheese plate or a veggie hummus moment or a tasteful soup. Just fucking razzles. That's what we're supposed to survive on. Not Lizzie McGuire, but How I Met Your Father and fucking razzles. And now I say this and I hope I am really, really wrong. 
I hope that How I Met Your Father has some of the ridiculous theories and lovable characters that the original did that gives me warm, fuzzy feelings. And I'll be honest, some of this is, I don't know if Greta Gerwig is still involved in How I Met Your Father, but I love Greta Gerwig. We have the same hometown. It's LeVar and Greta and I just making it happen, uh, obviously. And I really think like if she is still involved, there's hope. But if she's not still involved, I'm like a little worried that it's gotten passed off and it's going to lose her like viewpoint. And I would totally be sad about that. I mean, I liked How I Met Your Mother, the original. I need more, you know, shout screaming, murder, all aboard the murder train. Yeah, obviously Pitch Perfect singing. You Feel free to warn other people to skip ahead on that part. I need more theories from like a Barney Stinson-esque character. For example, his eternal The Ewok line. The concept of The Ewok line is how to understand the pop culture context of 13 going on 30. So here we are from Hillary Duff's Instagram Live to the Ewok line. The Ewok line is the idea that anyone who was born before May 25th, 1973 views Ewoks as an odd and irritating character in the Star Wars universe. But anyone born after May 25th, 1973, hi, it's me, would be young enough, and yes, I was, to be charmed by the Ewoks and that they would then focus on the Ewoks' adorableness and befriending of CPO as some kind of weird god, and they would not be aware of the giant canonical plot issues that the Ewok tangents present. It's the age-old question answered by the Ewok line. Are Ewoks cute comedic foils that resemble, like, Teddy Ruxpin that was left outside and became feral? Or are Ewoks a terrible subplot that just became a movie? And while we're here, a slightly belated May the 4th be with you to any and all listeners who celebrate. Okay, but 13 Going on 30 is similarly the Ewok line. It's defining the careers of two actors, Jennifer Garner and Mark Ruffalo. And depending on when you were born, 13 Going on 30 is either an unusual and divergent career choice for either Jennifer Garner or Mark Ruffalo. Now, let's get into it. I would argue that if you were born before 1990, hi, it's me, this movie was a weird moment for your understanding of Jennifer Garner, because your understanding of who Jennifer Garner was in 2003 is directly rooted in her being an action star. If you were born before 1990, you would have been old enough in 2003 to know that Jennifer Garner was the star of the ABC show Alias, because you would have been at least 13 years old at the time, meaning you would have been able to wrangle an unsuspecting adult to either watch this or talk about it. It would have been on your radar. Something like, Mom, can we watch Alias? Because like it's feminism, because girls can kick butt too. Okay, also it's about a father and daughter, kind of. Like, Mom, I know you're going to say no, but before you do, like, have you seen Michael Vartan's face and abs? Give me a minute. I'll pull the, the People magazine. You might be convinced. Yeah. No, that's Michael Vartan. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he really looks like that. Yeah, no, uh, Alias is on 8-9 Central or whatever the hell that time phrase means. Something like that. If you were born in 1990 or before, then you know that Jennifer Garner was not simply like the cute mom and, you know, actress we know, actor we know today, but you also know that Jennifer Garner, though it's not publicly like talked about a lot, 
was in the slightly cursed summer action blockbuster flop Daredevil with none other than her most high-profile relationship, Ben Affleck. You know, this is post-Benifer. It's Ben and Jen. Uh Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Let those memories that have faded with time wash, wash all over you. Maybe if you were born before 1990, you secretly cheered when Jennifer Garner's action movie Peppermint came out in 2019. Because you know what? Watching Jennifer Garner slap some dudes around feels so damn good. And maybe you even had a lot of feelings about the news that Ben Affleck was spotted hanging out with Jennifer Lopez this week. I cannot allow the ghost of Geely past to completely take over this episode, God willing. I can't tell you why I was like so into not into Benifer at the time and so into Ben and Jen when it happened. Hear me out. I just feel like it's a rare moment where you can have two Leos in a long-term relationship with one another. Read Ben and J-Lo, both Leo sons. A Leo-Leo relationship, IMO, requires two very mature lions who can find a way to share the spotlight. And maybe if you were in different fields, it could totally work. But the apex that was the Benefer relationship and the paparazzi, I think just got away from them. I don't think that it was necessarily the high point for either of them. But Ben and Jennifer Garner, it's a Leo-Aries connection. Ben's a Leo, Jennifer's an Aries son. Like, yes, they are both fire signs, but, you know, I like the, the Leo is a slightly different than an Aries, and also both Ben and Jennifer Garner are Cancer Risings, so maybe they really do have this, had this similar outlook on, like, having a family and having this, like, domestic, less than glamorous home life existence. But again, we cannot allow the ghosts of Geely Past or Ben and Jen to haunt this episode. So moving on, if you were born after 1990, then if you watch 13 Going on 30, you probably think this is a very weird moment for the Mark Ruffalo career trajectory. Because chances are, Mark Ruffalo to you is the Incredible Hulk in the Marvel Universe. Maybe you're like a slightly cooler, younger, millennial, Gen Zer, and you've seen the movie Zodiac. So you think of Mark Ruffalo as like tortured and indie, but very talented and fun to watch. And if you are slightly into true crime and you have not seen Zodiac, then please consider doing so because it's really suspenseful and really terrifying and totally true and really good. Mark Ruffalo does have that like tortured indie actor gone commercial vibe. I mean, he has these like soulful eyes and intense energy. Scorpio, it's it's because he's a fucking Scorpio. That's why that's happening. But he also has that playful Sagittarius, ah shucks, like fun energy. He's a Sag rising. He's equally serious and down to earth, but he's not exactly the guy you think of as the leading man for a romantic comedy. So if you're born after 1990, Jennifer Garner in a romantic comedy doesn't seem like a revelation, doesn't seem weird. It seems completely normal because for you, Jennifer Garner might have always been America's sweetheart. She is a loving mother of three. She is a maker of family-friendly, borderline moralistic films. She is the jilted ex-wife and forever cheerleader of Ben Affleck. He does not deserve her, period. She is a woman who effortlessly wears tennis shoes and jeans, and she has pet chickens, but not in a weird way. She feels like a fellow rom-com queen and Aries Reese Witherspoon, but she's more accessible, more Midwest, more down-to-earth. I feel like Reese is like, 
a little tempest in a teapot. She's keeping it. It's a little wild, but it's on the DL. And Jennifer Garner, Cancer Rising, I just, Gemini Moon, I think she just takes it in stride. She just seems very, like, fun, you know? She's the kind of person who, yeah, she makes a corny, family-friendly movie. But maybe she has reasons for it. Like, she legitimately wants her kids to be able to watch her work, or she doesn't want them to be weirded out by her job. So if you are older, to sum it up, 1990 or before, you remember Jennifer Garner was once an action star. You remember those roots. And if you are younger, then you're intimately familiar with Mark Ruffalo being a sensitive but action star vibes. And these differences, that time difference, makes this movie kind of interesting because, like, you can look at Jennifer and Mark's birth charts at that time, and it will tell you kind of why they took this the role in this movie that they did and why there were different reasons for it. Which, unlike the Ben and Jen and, like, Benifer saga, we will actually discuss today. So let's talk about 2003. At the time, Jennifer Garner is two years into her show Alias. The show was unique at the time because it was a spy action thriller, and it was kind of, you know, pretty rare to have a basically unknown female lead on a major network drama. It was basically unheard of. But if you know anything about the show Alias, then you know that the people who were into Alias were into it. That could be that in 2003, there were not a ton of examples of strong and interesting, intelligent women in day, like weekly TV shows. Or it could be that the plot was very involved and kind of self-selected viewers that would be drawn to the spy versus spy versus spy plot. Like, who could Sydney Bristow trust this week? Could she even trust herself? Where does she get that hot pink wig? Yes, I really want one. I think it would go great with my eye color. But anyway... In 2003, Jennifer Garner was also 31 years old, and that means she was in a seventh house perfection year. That's a time where relationships can take center stage because the seventh house is about, uh, you know, important relationships in our life. It's not just like a random coworker we don't really hang out with. The seventh house is long-term relationships like marriages or business partnerships or, you know, kind of non-familial relationships that we have, like really deep friendships. But If we're looking into family relationships, we want to look at the fourth house. So she's in a seventh house year. And this focus on relationships makes sense to me because Jennifer Garner had just filed divorce from Scott Foley, who, if you don't know, is Noel from Felicity. That's all you need to know. She was also a few months away from starting a very brief relationship with aforementioned co-star Michael Vartan and his abs and his eyes. And she was about a year away. Remember, perfection years start on your birthday. So it doesn't start every year. Like, you technically will have, like, two themes a year, right? Because it switches over when your birthday changes. And she's about a year away from meeting and dating Ben Affleck. So relationships, you know, she has this great career on a TV show. She's expanding into movies. But her relationships are kind of in this pivotal moment. And similarly, Mark Ruffalo in 2003, he is 35. I mentioned this before, he is a Scorpio, so he has an October birthday. And that means that he's in the last little months of a 12th house perfection year. Now, a 12th house perfection year is going to be something that involves themes of the 12th house, which is like confinement, it's illness. It's a general idea of the 12th house being a place where things that are previously unknown to us 
can be revealed. That's where they live. It's during this time that he had been diagnosed with a brain tumor and he suffered some facial paralysis and he did lose hearing in his left ear. During this 12th year, basically this unknown health diagnosis became a focus of his life. Mark Ruffalo had almost completely recovered. Um, His paralysis had ended when he did decide to take on this role in 13 going on 30. And both Jennifer Garner and um, Mark Ruffalo's perfection years really give us an important reminder about perfection years in general. It's easy to forget that there are some really desirable and less than desirable significations for each house. And I think this is a personality thing. I think some people, they think about all the negative aspects of a house and think of a perfection year coming up and think, oh, it's going to be that year. It's going to have all these bad things corresponded to it. And I'm just like really stressed out by it. Or maybe you're more optimistic and you think, oh, finally, it's a new perfection year. My birthday is here. It's going to be all these like really good, feel good vibes. No, you know, like anything to, to worry me. But it's both. Like there are good things and bad things in all of the houses. A seventh house perfection year for some people could mean that you develop a new business partnership or you're in a romantic relationship and it decides to get serious and that feels really good. Or you, you know, get really close with a group of friends. You know, you really develop these strong, happy relationships. But it could also be like Jennifer Garner's where getting a divorce could be the focus of that year. It's a big change in a relationship. Or in Mark's case, a 12th house year could be, you know, that you spend some time like in a place where people are confined, but maybe, you know, you're volunteering in a prison or a hospital or you're doing some good work there that's deeply fulfilling and maybe hard, but really good. And he obviously suffered a stressful medical diagnosis and a recovery, but ultimately in the long scheme of things, the tumor that they found, he didn't know about, and it was ultimately benign. And this 12th house year for him set off a change in his life where he now advocates for others who have, uh, he had something called an acoustic neuroma. Um, And so now he has done some work with foundations that work to educate and help people who suffer from acoustic neuromas. And obviously it's very sad and scary that he had to go through that. But in a 12th house perfection year, there could be something dark that happens and it could ultimately lead you to learn something deep about yourself that you hadn't realized, about your life that you hadn't realized, and lead you on a happier path. The same way where if a relationship ends and you get divorced, it's tough. And then other times it opens doors for you that wouldn't have been open had you not made the difficult decision to end something that wasn't working. So as a general reminder, perfection years are not good or bad. They are both. They depend on your chart. They depend on what you choose to even spend your energy on in that year. Okay, you can wipe the doe-eyed Bambi watching her mother get shot and strapped to the back of a van look. Let us get into the chart. Filming began on May 3rd, 2003 in Pasadena, California. South Pasadena, if you are a true head. The film was mostly shot in Pasadena and Los Angeles, and they did some exterior shots in New York, but IMDb, who we can totally trust and wouldn't lie to me, said they started filming in Pasadena, as did Wikipedia. As with all the birth charts where I don't have an exact birth time, we don't know when filming began exactly on that day, so I'm going to use noon. To explain one of the placements in this chart, I have to tell you something you might know about this movie, or maybe you don't. If you 
know, if you weren't an adult in the early 2000s and you definitely weren't affiliated with 80s pop culture, then it probably has never occurred to you that 13 going on 30 is, and I'll get into the plot in a moment, a remake or like an homage to a Tom Hanks movie called Big. Now, the plots differ slightly, but in the movie Big, a teenage Tom Hanks decides like he wants, I guess he's teenage. I don't know. Like tween, I guess. He wishes to become an adult and he does. And then he realizes that like actually being a kid in some ways is way better. Like he, you know, realizes that his relationship with his family matters. He kind of has this like uncomfortable adult relationship and like he's realizes he's not in a place where he wants that. And I think that, you know, obviously some parts of the movie are really cool. Like, Yes, he kind of falls in love and he dances on the giant F.E.O. Schwartz floor piano. I think R.I.P. F.E.O. Schwartz, at least in New York. But the birth chart of 13 Going on 30 does have an allusion to this movie. So the movie Big premiered in theaters on June 3rd, 1988. Um, That puts it in Gemini season. And this chart for 13 Going on 30 features a Gemini moon. So in general, a lot of astrologers link the moon to our parents. Now, if you're into really old school astrology or you're using a textbook or something from like the 70s and 80s, you're going to see a lot of stuff, maybe also online, that says the moon represents our mom, okay? But a lot of more modern and um, kind of more open interpretations say that the moon is like your nurturing and close parent. So someone who is really active in your life, that guardian or adult in your life or parent That's kind of the moon figure for you. And here we have Big, a movie that paved the way for 13 going on 30, and it's sharing the same sun sign as the 13 going on 30's moon, because the 13 going on 30 chart has a Gemini moon. So I thought that was kind of a cool illusion to start off with. Um, Another placement in the chart I want to talk about, I got to be honest, this chart is not incredibly compelling, but there are other things that I'm going to talk about later that I think added a layer of interest to this that just simply using a birth chart would not. So we also see that Jupiter is in nine degrees of Leo and it is forming a direct opposition to Mars in seven degrees of Aquarius. Now, I think it'd be really easy to look at Mars, which is a malefic planet and realize that it's forming an opposition to Jupiter, which is like the planet of expansion and higher thinking. And in old school astrology, Mars is a malefic. So it's a planet that can do a little harm. Saturn and Mars often fuck shit up and Venus and Jupiter are benefics so they're here to try to help you and I think it'd be easy to look at this and go okay Jupiter is a benefic and it's directly opposing a malefic planet Mars this cannot be good but actually I think that Jupiter oppositions are much nicer than other planet oppositions even Venus oppositions I think that Jupiter being at the opposite energy of something can really balance out that energy, if that makes sense. Like Mars can is the planet of war. It's the planet of sex and it can be violence, physical action. And Jupiter being in opposition to that, instead of like putting all this more like expanding that Martian intense energy, it's kind of balancing it out with like a more chill, expansive energy. And so I think that Jupiter opposition to Mars is actually a placement that kind of denotes like a certain level of success or being a winner. Like you have that Mars, you know, 
drive to go and do. And the Jupiter of expanding and higher knowledge and working towards something. Like someone is with a Jupiter-Mars opposition that's well-placed could be someone who like really makes it happen. And the movie did do that. It grossed a lot of money, um, or at least a lot of money to me. In its first weekend, it grossed $22 million. It grossed $96 million total. And it became the number one DVD rental of the year, which I know in a Netflix streaming universe does not mean bubkiss to you, but you have to remember that 2003 Blockbuster is still kicking and DVD rental money is a big deal. So it does make a difference that it became the number one DVD rental of the year. That's some serious moolah. The other thing that happens is the soundtrack is, which is mostly 80s music because half of this movie takes place in the 80s and half of it takes place in the early 2000s. Um, the 80s heavy soundtrack was in the top 50 of the Billboard Top 200 charts. And as a result of this movie, Jennifer Garner obviously kind of becomes a star and she's nominated for awards at the MTV Movie Awards and Teen Choice Awards. And this is the part where I tell you, uh, the chart's not super interesting, but there are some synchronicities that are. To be honest, something that I kind of came back to immediately was that when the movie was filming, when it started filming in early May of 2003, and the movie premiere happens in Taurus season. We are actually currently in the middle of Taurus season. And upon thinking about this movie and watching parts of it, and also watching a like 15 minute documentary about making the movie. I linked it in show notes. It's the YouTube link. Um, it's cute. It's really fun to see Jennifer Garner be like totally like this normal lady who's like, oh my God, I've never worn Marc Jacobs before. And like talking about having to wear platform heels and um, totally ragging on Mark Ruffalo for not having to dance to Thriller because he definitely struggled with that. It's adorable. And if you need like a 15 minute break from your life, uh, I could recommend it, I suppose. This movie is super, like, taurine to me. Some astrology practices, so, like, some schools of astrology really associate Taurus with the second house of the birth chart. And admittedly, there are some links. The second house is about resources and finances. And the link that they're drawing is to Venus. And that's Taurus's ruling planet, which also rules themes around our values and our money. And that kind of ties into our idea of resources and finances. Taurus is the second sign of the Zodiac. It is a fixed earth sign. Um, And I think themes for Taurus are, you know, it's fixed earth. So it's unchanging, but it's about, you know, the concept of like spring and that, you know, like Aries starts spring and then, Fixed signs are right in the middle, so they're at the height of every season. And this is, you know, all the flowers are blooming, right? Like Aries comes in and it's like, it's late March. So it's like we're getting out of that rainy season, at least here in Seattle area. And Taurus, here we are and all the flowers are blooming. There's a lushness. There's an earthiness. There's like a sensuality to it. But I think that this movie is really centering around like those Venus themes of also appearance and the concept of values and like, what do we value? So the movie starts off with Jenna Rink, Jennifer Garner's character, and kind of exploring the idea of what we value and what our values are. It's her 13th birthday party. And all Jenna really wants is to make out with her crush, Chris, and you know, become one of the popular kids, right? Like, I think she's probably going into high school next year and she wants to be like in with the cool kids. 
So she decides that to be a popular girl, she will sacrifice some of her personal values and definitely some of her personal resources. She invites them to the birthday party and all the kids agree to go if she does their homework for them. They tell her, oh, we'll play seven minutes in heaven and then blindfold her with a scarf and stick her in a closet in their basement. She keeps waiting for her crush to show up. And then the kids all leave with their homework and like leave her just sitting in a closet. She's heartbroken and sad. And then her neighbor, Matt, who is supposed to be Mark Ruffalo as a kid, um, like comes over to comfort her. And she just says she cries and wishes she was 30 already. Like she doesn't want to be an awkward teen. I feel you, Jenna. Nobody does. Um, Not that your 30s aren't awkward. But of course, through the magic of the movies, she wakes up to find out that she is indeed 30. She's an editor at a New York-based lifestyle magazine called Poise. She's got a fabulous apartment. She has fabulous friends. She has a truly, truly wonderful what dreams are made of walk-in closet. And on the outside, it looks like Jenna has really overcome her, you know, middle school, high school troubles. She's got it all figured out. But we soon learn that adult Jenna and teen Jenna have some real issues with personal accountability and being good people. It turns out that Poise is kind of going through a leadership crisis and there's a chance to promote someone. Um, And to in, you know, like true mean girl fashion, Jenna decides that she is going to, you know, sabotage fellow employees work. She is going to harass coworkers and like sleep with their partners. And it's kind of intense. And she treats her friend, Matt, Mark Ruffalo, like he's not really important to her and he doesn't really exist in her life. She's grown up to realize that she has become one of those popular girls, but she's actually just a mean girl and she doesn't really care about the needs or wants or, um, you know, relationships that she has with other people. She's not living in tune with any kind of Venus values. She's taking all of those second house taurine personal resources and she's using all of them to be a total fucking asshole. And then... Then the Venus component of these relationships, right? Because she happens to be best friends with the girl who was a total bitch to her in middle school. The one who was like, oh no, sit in the closet. And then tells her that her crush will be right in. No, she grows up to befriend that lady because that's healthy. And then she, you know, basically shows up at the wedding of her childhood crush, uh, Mark Ruffalo. And she's like, um, I really wish it was us getting married. And he's like, that's funny. Um, You're an asshole. You can stick that homemade dollhouse I made you for your 13th birthday where the sun don't shine because, damn it, I'm marrying some lady named Wendy. Yeah, I don't. we don't explore Wendy too much. But then Jenna has a crisis of identity. She has a moment where she realizes she is not living up to this taurine Venusian energy. And she cries and wishes she was 13 again. Only then to wake up in the closet to baby Mark Ruffalo and his beautiful dollhouse that he made her. And she basically grabs him by the hand, throws punch on baby Judy Greer, who is a mean girl, side-eyes Brie Larson, runs up the stairs, and then again time hops into being 30-ish and marrying Mark Ruffalo in her childhood backyard. The time swaps, it's not super Venusian. Don't think about it too long. And also, if you're feeling like, how dare she take Mark Ruffalo, you need to remember that in this movie, Jennifer Garner and Mark Ruffalo bonded over razzles, okay? They deserve each other. Let it, let it die. 
13 Going on 30 premiered on April 23rd, 2024. And we've talked about this before, but again, because this was less than a year after the movie started filming, if you look at those two dates side by side, you're not going to see a huge change in the chart, which means we don't have super dramatic aspects because, you know, like super dramatic aspects require us to be several signs away from one another. So like a square is, you know, was it three signs away? And then uh, an opposition is like six signs away. So we don't have anything that's like really impactful. But this is where we get into the part where we want to talk again about Jennifer Garner and Mark Ruffalo and what's going on for them astrologically. Um, because that is super interesting. Now, we talked about when this movie started filming, Jennifer Garner is 31. She's going through a seventh house perfection year. But we're back in tourist season. So Jennifer Garner, the movie premieres less than a week after her 32nd birthday. And on the day that it premiered, April 23rd, 2004, the moon was exactly conjunct her natal moon in 23 degrees of Gemini. And I think that we talked about the Gemini moon as far as like it's homage to big, which is something that critics definitely caught on to pretty quickly. It's not too hard to see the illusions. I think it has to be said that this, your moon conjunct the moon, is a really interesting, significant moment. Obviously, the moon moves really quickly, so there are multiple times a year where the moon will be exactly conjunct. But the fact that this happens on a significant day for her, to me, it's about like this emotional shift, right? Of being like this person who, you know, was in like small roles in films and then become is on her way to becoming a movie star. You know, this puts Jennifer Garner on the spotlight. It puts her in, you know, things like People Magazine. People start caring, you know, what she wears to go shopping at the Grove or who she's pictured with. You know, she's she's moving out of just being the star of a network television show and into being someone who is the star of a show and the jump to a romantic comedy lead. It is a huge moment in Jennifer Garner's career. I think I said this before, but just to make sure... Jennifer Garner is an Aries sun, she is a Cancer rising, and a Gemini moon. And this means that the movie, which is in Taurus season, all those Taurus themes, is linked to her 11th house of community, because Taurus is the sign ruling her 11th house. And you have to know the backstory of this movie, and Jennifer Garner's involvement is, like, so 11th house, and honestly, like, Jennifer Garner's career to a greater extent is so 11th house. So when they were trying to make this movie, 13 Going on 30, they had originally looked at maybe more established film actresses. So women like Gwyneth Paltrow, Renee Zellweger, Hilary Swank were all kind of being considered for the lead role. Um, I believe they all auditioned, but basically Jennifer Garner kind of came out of nowhere because the producers were watching the Golden Globes and she won for Golden a Golden Globe for Alias in 2002. And they all mentioned how they found her really funny and engaging and just thought she had a certain warmth and innocence where she could easily play someone who is a 13 year old stuck in a 30 something woman's body they thought she really she should test for this she'd be really good at it the 11th house right is about community our neighborhood it's her network making things happen for her she was offered the film out of the blue and if you watch that youtube documentary she says as much she's like i had never been offered anything before um, Alias was kind of something she had gotten that was similar to that. J.J. Abrams had really written it with her in mind. Um, but 
you know, when she got offered this film, her all of her castmates, her coworkers were basically like, take this movie. This would be so fun. You'll do so great. Like, you should do this. And in another 11th house moment, talking about like our community and friends, Jennifer Garner has talked often about the fact that she really loved making this movie with Judy Greer and Mark Ruffalo. And they became not just coworkers to her, but also people that she really enjoyed and she considered them friends. Jennifer Garner's career is an 11th house story to me, truly. She's a 10th house son, so it's like career is really a big part of her self and identity. But there are some serious 11th house moments. Steven Spielberg apparently got her contact information from a mutual acquaintance that I was not able to find out who it was online. And he basically called her up and he's like, hey, I'm filming this movie with Leonardo DiCaprio um, called Catch Me If You Can. Um, and I think he'd be really good in it. Do you want this like small walk-on part? It would be like a day's worth of work. And she jumped at the chance. She had a scene with Leo. It seemed like it went really well. He just, Steven Spielberg talked about the fact that he saw her and thought, this is someone who has like really watchable. Like I think people would really be interested in her on screen. And he was right. I mentioned, of course, that J.J. Abrams basically wrote Elias for Jennifer Garner. Um, you know, the long running joke apparently online is that he had seen her role in Dude, Where's My Car? And just felt like she really nailed it. Um, but yeah, Jennifer Garner was in Dude, Where's My Car? She was also in Pearl Harbor and like, again, very small walk on ish kind of role. Shifting a little bit, Mark Ruffalo is a Scorpio sun. He is a Sag rising and a Cancer moon. And so this means that Taurus is sitting in his sixth house of work and routine. And this really makes total sense to me as well. Mark Ruffalo in 2003, 2004, when 13 Going on 30 is either filming or premiering, is kind of in this in-between moment in his career. Uh, Leading up to this, he had had success with theater productions, smaller films. There were two that he had made right before this called You Can Count on Me uh, and The Last Castle. And they were um, indie movies, well thought of, but they didn't really go anywhere. They're decidedly darker than 13 Going on 30, which is not hard to do. But he's going to make 13 Going on 30 in 2003. It's going to come out in 2004. And it's going to be one of four romantic comedies he will make around this time. It starts with the first being The View from the Top with Gwyneth Paltrow. This is the movie where she's a stewardess. You know, you're putting the wrong emphasis. You're putting the emphasis on the wrong syllable. Anyone, please, someone save me. Um, Then 13 going on 30. Then he makes a movie called Just Like Heaven where Reese Witherspoon is dead, but she comes back. And I don't think she knows she's dead, but also she's like a fabulous San Francisco apartment. So I get why she is haunting around here. Like if Mark Ruffalo was living in your apartment and you didn't know you were dead, like, are you really just going to like peace out for the week? I don't think so. I think you're going to try to stick around and see what happens. And then he also made this movie that I have never seen. And I think on principle, as if I had any, won't see that. It's called Rumor Has It. It's with Jennifer Aniston. It was made in 2005. And it's basically the idea that her mom and her grandmother were the movie, were the inspiration for the movie, The Graduate. I would say just watch The Graduate and you don't really need to, don't need to go here. Um, Those movies, the rom-com of it all, look, I love a rom-com. Like, this is a podcast about astrology and pop culture and like the most inane parts of pop culture. So I'm not better than any of those movies. And Mark Ruffalo isn't saying he is either. But they're super enjoyable. They're super fun. They know what they are. Again, we're talking about the sixth house, and this is where that piece comes in. 
The sixth house is about the day-to-day. It's about work, but not career. It's about routine. It, this is the sixth house of it all. It's This is a well-paying job. This is a chance to be exposed to other directors. This is a chance to get some notoriety and get the door open for more interesting roles. That's why you take these rom-com positions if you're Mark Ruffalo. And just like all of us with some job we've had or maybe the job we're in now, we all do things that we don't particularly enjoy just so we get the chance to do things that we want to do, right? Like we have to get through the sixth house. We have to understand the sixth house before we can get to the 10th housey stuff, which is like our career, the things we're super drawn to, those like higher points in our professional life or a calling that we have. But we have to have a day-to-day routine before we can just pop on into the 10th house and like be a megastar in whatever we're dreaming of being. So to circle back, where we started 13 going on 30 was important for Mark and Jennifer and it was important for really different reasons Jennifer Garner was really looking to expand her career outside of television and um, you know an action television show at that and I think making the jump to romantic comedies paved the way for Jennifer Garner to make the movies that she's making now right like what she's become known for wouldn't exist had she not gotten cast in 13 going on 30 she might have had a more like, I've thought about this before, like a Jessica Beale, Jessica Alba moment where she was like very actiony, like in great shape, the dark angel, you know, the Jessica Beale just being like really cut. And it could have just not happened for her to make the leap. And she wouldn't be who she is now. Her career could have ended when she made, you know, she plays this character called Electra in the movie Daredevil with Ben Affleck. And then she later had a sequel where it was just called Electra starring her. And it showed off her physical abilities, but that's not what has buoyed her career. In fact, Electra, Electra did not do well. And if you know anything about Daredevil, it did also not do well. It was just kind of clunky. And we've been spoiled by Marvel movies where, you know, there's a lot of good, even if you're not into superhero movies, which I totally get, Chances are, if you have seen a Marvel movie, um, the dialogue's pretty snappy or there's humor in it. It's enjoyable to watch. And there are long action sequences. But if you've ever seen Elektra or Daredevil, it doesn't have that quippy funness. You just don't, it doesn't bounce, right? Like you don't enjoy it the same way. Um, so her ability to be in these this romantic comedy really shaped her, you know, path to make the kinds of movies she makes now. And on a different note, Mark Ruffalo was trying to expand just past being an indie role kind of person, a theater production into a leading man. I think there's like an alternate universe of Mark Ruffalo where he kind of becomes a character actor. I think I could kind of see that in a weird way. I think he's not Gary Oldman level of character actor where you're like, oh my God, it's Gary Oldman. I had no idea he was playing that fern over there. It's remarkable. But I think that Mark Ruffalo really wanted to take on meteor projects, wanted a little more notoriety. Um, And I think he did do a good thing in that he got in and out of romantic comedies. He only took a couple of those roles and it really did gain him exposure and film experience. And he became someone who could be relied on for some box office success. And I think that allowed him to get larger directors and projects be interested in banking on him for bigger roles. Now, I try to end episodes where I can with any updates, if there's a reboot, if there's a sequel. 
if there's a TV show, what have you. And much like starting this episode and talking about the failed Lizzie McGuire reboot, I know, R.I.P., 13 Going on 30 also had a failed project that was announced. It did not come to be in 20, October of 2016. Uh, there were news reports that the film was going to be adapted into a Broadway musical. But as of this recording, uh, no Broadway musical has come to be. Now, in 2016, when this announcement came out, I wasn't able to find a source that correctly pinpointed like a singular day. So we're just going to talk briefly about October 2016 as an entire month. Now, when this announcement was made sometime in October, Uranus was in Aries. And that means that it was forming a close conjunction. Well, it was forming a close conjunction. Just because it's in Aries does not mean it's a close conjunction. But was forming a close conjunction to the movie's natal Venus in Aries. Uh, additionally, we have Jupiter in the sign of Libra, and it was forming an opposition to that Venus in Aries as well. Now, both transits, because we're looking at Venus again, we talked about those Taurine values, the Venusianness. When we see Venus in these transits, what comes to mind for me is it's the theme of relationships and it's the theme of resources. Both of these transits reflect the idea that there are relationships that are existing or could exist and they need to be changed or altered. I could see how, you know, you could easily think, okay, this movie has a lot of fun 80s music. You could totally make it into an 80s kind of movie-centric, like 80s music movie musical. Kind of um, like Rock of Ages, but meets Mean Girls, right? Where you have all of that like music people love and it's maybe old school music. And it's also like feel good and fun um, and really kind of buoyant. But... Like, we know what happens, so maybe, you know, like, looking into this, you're like, eh, all the interpretations of Uranus and Venus um, being conjunct and then Jupiter being opposed to, like, Venus, it doesn't necessarily say, oh, that means there's this isn't going to work out. But let's talk about, like, what it could mean, right? Uranus, with this conjunction to Venus, is really about this unexpected change in Venusian themes. Maybe it's, you know the idea that Venus really does like solidarity. It does like a certain level of steadiness. Um, and I think that, you know, committing to something, like when we talk about committing, it could be to a person or a Zoom meeting or a weekly class of some kind. That's very Venusian to me, that commitment theme. But Uranian energy is the opposite of that. It's, it's not being tied down. It's revolutionary. That doesn't necessarily mean violence, but it does mean unexpected change. So you could look at that and think, okay, we have Venus here, but Uranus is, is right on top of Venus. And it's taking things that we would normally have time and structure for and completely mixing it up. Similarly, Jupiter opposing Venus could be read as saying, okay, again, we talked about this earlier with the Mars-Jupiter opposition. Jupiter opposing a planet might mean that it gives it a little balance. So maybe Jupiter opposing Venus is mellowing out some of these relationship money themes and, you know, like being a little more forward thinking. I think Venus could easily get a little too, you know, penny pinching and saying like, hey, I just, I want to feel secure. You know, security is a big deal for me. And Jupiter could say, I hear you, but you know, you have to spend money to make money. You have to put yourself out there a little bit for things to change, for things to get better. I think 
what this could be is like it's two happy planets they're still opposing each other and it could point to a thing though where venus is being balanced out by jupiter but that expansion isn't getting venus where it wants to go venus could be feeling like it's being stretched in a direction that really doesn't work out like it committed to making a musical but the reality is is the resources for the and ability to make that musical the interest in the musical it's just not there so even though jupiter is forming like not a terrible aspect you know you can only expand so much i think of it as like i don't know if you guys have ever worked with like dough where you're supposed to stretch it and stretch it and then it like gets too see-through and rips where it's like sometimes you can only expand something so far before it doesn't work out so i don't know if we're getting a 13 going on 30 musical um at this point I don't know. It's like if we had unlimited reboot points, I would spend it. But I feel like there are other more concerning things that I want to put my like reboot reboot karma toward. So I'll let you know uh, if something should change. So whether you're a 13 going on 30 or you're a 30 going on 13, please remember that everyone and everything has a birth chart. But yours is a chart of fortune. Thank you for listening to Chart of Fortune. If you have questions, comments, ideas for a future episode, I want to know about them. You can email me uh, at chartoffortune at gmail.com or you can say hey on my Instagram, which is Chart of Fortune. Until next time, bye.